please be seated as you do turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to continue in our series on the book of Colossians. You'll find this passage on page 1,252 of your pew Bibles. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among are the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me seen uh, seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in body yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Father, we thank you for the word of God delivered to us by the apostle and the apostles that did reveal the mystery of Christ, and we pray that you would open our eyes to see that truth, that we would come to know wisdom and what it means to live the truly good life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our series is entitled The Good Life, Living the Good Life, the Truly Good Life. And in order to do that, you have to have wisdom. You have to know how to do it. You have to be given certain information. Now, there is a line of thinking in our culture that says just the opposite. I remember an old Dan Fogelberg song that was pretty um, characteristic of the day. All of the answers you seek can be found in dreams that you dream all along the way. So there are some who say, you know, look outside yourself. You can find all the answers you need internally. But that is not part and parcel of uh, the American experience. We have, uh, in America last year, we spent $9.9 billion for self-help books, audio books, motivational speakers, weight loss programs, personal coaching, and the like. John LaRosa, Research Director for Marketing Data LLC, says there are lots of so-called experts now peddling a variety of online masterminds, academies, universities, and coaching services. But people want practical results and a return on their invested time and money. Many have found that programs and philosophies overpromised and underdelivered and simply did not work for them. Well, our text today in Colossians 2.4 says that we can be deluded by plausible-sounding argu arguments, by philosophies that overpromise and underproduce. 
So who can you trust to give you the real truth, the real insight into experiencing the good life? Well, the answer for us today is the Apostle Paul. He gives us the truth, the wisdom, reveals the mystery. And we read this starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now this is a radical statement that the Apostle Paul would say that there's some sense in which Christ's afflictions were insufficient. Last week, uh, we, <clears throat> we studied these passages, these verses, verse 21 and 22 of chapter 1, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. As a hymn has stated, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. And then the hymn goes on to say, not only that particular life and death, but not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest, on these alone. O Jesus, Son of God, I build on what thy cross has done for me. There both in my death and life I read, my guilt and pardon there I see. And so not only in Jesus' death on the cross, but even in the tears that he shed for us, we rely on no one else for our relationship with God to have a forgiveness of sins. We're sinners in need of the forgiveness of God and a restoration of relationship with him that can only happen through Jesus Christ, and he is completely sufficient in what he did in his life and his death on <clears throat> the cross. As 1 Peter 1, 13, three eighteen says, Christ suffered for sins once for all. Well, you'd be glad to know that the Apostle Paul is in agreement. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he responded to the Corinthians who were highlighting certain leaders in the church, and he, he says, was Paul crucified for you? And the answer is, of course, not. So Jesus' death is completely sufficient for us to know God. So what was lacking in Jesus' afflictions? Well, Jesus designated certain revealers of communicated truth, and those revealers of communicated truth, of the wisdom of God, were going to have to suffer affliction to get that word out. And this included the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you know, you, people are given a job description, and you might have to be required to know Google Docs and be a self-starter. And uh, with the Apostle Paul, part of his job description was, you must be willing to suffer affliction. Jesus Christ said to him, said about him, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the Apostle Paul, at the very commissioning of his job to reveal the truth of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, was told, you will suffer affliction for the cause of getting the word out. It's going to take hardship, 
<coughs> affliction to get this previously hidden wisdom di- disclosed. So Christ died, but it was Christ's will that he not reveal this to us, that he not stay on planet Earth and reveal uh, what his life and death was about, but that he designated others, he designated apostles to do that. Now, one of the things in a very broad sort of way um, I think we can take away from this is that the Christian life, uh, people think if I live the good life and the Christian life and the way I'm supposed to live it, then my life is going to be trouble-free. And we see even the designated leaders, our heroes of the faith, went through difficulties and trials in the extreme. So that is not part and parcel of being blessed by God and living the good life. But more to the point, the point here is that the Apostle Paul himself was tasked with communicating a mystery, verses 25 and 26, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me uh, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. People love a good mystery. Just this week, David Copperfield, the illusionist, was found not liable in a court for uh, British tourists' injuries that were suffered in one of his illusions. And uh, one of the things that he asked at the beginning of the trial proceedings is that they would be uh, conducted in secret. Why? Because he didn't want his mystery to be revealed. He didn't want the illusion to be ruined by talking about it in open court. There were mystery religions at the time of the writing of the book of Colossians, and most likely that's part of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's responding to a teacher or teachers who have come within the Colossian community, and in some way, shape, or form, they have been influenced and are seeking to influence in these mystery religions. And these religions would essentially say that you... Uh, to, to know God or to have a higher knowledge of God than the, the rank-and-file little people down there, that you needed to attain some sort of mysterious hidden knowledge that nobody else knew. And sometimes it came through some sort of an initiation rite. It reminds me a little bit of maybe fraternities or sororities. You know, you go through this initiation, you, you learn the secret things, the secret handshake. Uh, I've been told the Masons do things like this. Uh, Scientology, Um, David Koretsky, he's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and he has said, Scientology has been careful to maintain a veil of mystery about its teaching. To learn the inner secrets uh, requires years of strict obedience and large monetary donations. In return, Scientology promises its adherents total freedom. Paul's mandate by Jesus Christ was, just the opposite. Reveal the mystery. That's your job. It had been hidden and hidden and hidden for years, and now it was time to let everyone know, not just Jews who had in the past received direct revelation from God through the prophets, but now Jews and Gentiles were going to hear the word of God and the revelation of this ultimate wisdom And it's not limited by nationality, by race, by economic status. Paul has said in the passage we studied last week that this has been proclaimed, the good news has been proclaimed in all 
creation under heaven, verse 23. And that terminology uh, reminds us of the great commission found in the Gospel of Mark, where the apostles were given the mandate to go into the entire world and preach the gospel to all creation or to every creature, that the word of God was to go out about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the mystery that has been revealed? What is the mystery that will give you the good life forever? Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim. And then in chapter 2, starting with verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged and being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what we learn is that if you have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in his finished work, in his life, and in his death, that you will experience the good life beginning now and in completion for all eternity. Faith brings us into union, into relationship with Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had. So if you've come to that point in your life where you have realized that you are separated from God, that you need a savior, uh, that you must have someone to sacrifice for your sins because you are unable to do it yourself uh, and have placed your faith, you've transferred your faith from your own supposed goodness to Jesus Christ, then you're forgiven, your relationship with God is restored. But we also learn this here in the passage. Part of this mystery that is revealed is that you are united with the person of Jesus Christ that you have a spiritual, real relationship in union with Jesus Christ. And that is where wisdom is found. It's called the hope of glory. We look forward to a future glory. In Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim. <clears throat> you know, the, the strongest, the most beautiful, the most capable people um, have a certain glory and that glory is fleeting. The Bible put it this way, the prophet Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fades. And Peter, the apostle, picks up on it, says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But not God. God is glorious. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and when God showed up in glory in the Old Testament, it was dramatic. It was amazing. The people were absolutely awestruck. Uh, they were beside themselves at times with fear and trembling because of the absolute majesty and glory of God. And Moses, even meeting with God in the tent of meeting, we 
have recorded that just the reflected glory off his face, the residual glory that remained after he met with God was enough to absolutely terrify the children of Israel before him. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God. That's what we learned last week, that Jesus Christ in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily, chapter 2, verse 9. Wisdom is in Christ because Christ is God, Christ is deity, and we can be united to Jesus Christ. And we can taste that glory now, but we can experience it in complete fullness when he returns and transforms us from a body of dishonor to his glorious honor. We read of this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. The apostle John, speaking of Jesus, says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we have, what we will be, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There will be a day when we see Jesus face to face and we'll be transformed. And so, wisdom is to understand that Jesus is wisdom. Ecclesiastes is a, a book that we're studying on Wednesday nights. Here's a section from near the end of Ecclesiastes. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And then there's a series of um, poetic images of the body breaking down in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, people lose their teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, we lose our eyesight. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That is wisdom to understand that this glory that you possess, this minor glory that you possess for a brief period of time is going to fade away and that there is only glory and there's only a glorious existence in knowing the one who is himself glory and being united to him. And that happens when you place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we read here that Christ himself is wisdom. The mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim. So wisdom is not a principle. It's not a practical life hack. It's not a moral code. Christ and faith in Jesus Christ is ultimate wisdom. So place your faith in Jesus. He is wisdom. And that is the good life. And you'll experience it now and in perfection in eternity. Paul, in no uncertain terms, says, I am the man. I'm the one given the responsibility of, re of revealing the mystery of Christ so that you might have this good life, that you might have faith in Christ, that you might progress in that faith that you might gain maturity till the end of your life when Jesus Christ returns. 
And Paul says, I've been given that task to warn you that there are other plausible arguments out there that people will try to make about what wisdom really is. He said, I'm warning you. I'm warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works in me. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And there are ways that are opposed to this wisdom presented by God through the Apostle Paul uh, that we hear on a regular basis. And they can sound quite plausible. And we need to be warned that there are plausible-sounding arguments about attaining ultimate wisdom that are not true. One is overtly teaching that there's another alternative way Uh, Maybe it's Islam, or maybe Judaism, or maybe listening to your own heart as an alternative to Christ. There are others that overtly teach that Christ is one way, but not the only way. Whatever makes you happy, some people seek ultimate uh, good and good life through pleasure, others through self-denial, some through Jesus, some through Buddha, some through Muhammad, some through Gus on 15th Street, pick your guru. Uh, The important thing is not what you believe, but just that you believe in something. There are some that believe this and teach this. There are some that teach that there are multiple ways, but Christ is not one of them. Maybe they would say, well, I've tried Jesus, and Jesus didn't work. Um, And part of that is is trying the Jesus of a false branding, maybe thinking that if I believe in Jesus, all my problems will be solved. That's what's said today. Uh, Life is not easy, even as one who believes in Jesus. There are others that teach that Christ is the way, and they even teach that the apostles in this word taught us truth, but they don't teach that Jesus in Christ is found all, all wisdom. That, yes, Jesus is important, but something else is important. If you're going to have a relationship with God, if he's going to accept you, then You must do this good work or that good work, uh, but Christ and him alone is not the sum total of wisdom. Others would say, like those of some of the mystery cults in the uh, time the New Testament was written, well, yes, you can know Jesus, and you can have kind of that mundane Christian life, uh, but you need to pursue something else if you're going to have the higher Christian life, a second blessing. Uh, Jesus and faith in Jesus and focus on him and his sacrifice and what he's done is insufficient for you to attain full maturity. There are false gospels. There are false roots to life. And the Apostle Paul says he has been given the task of revealing the mystery. And there are designated people by God himself, the apostles and Paul the apostle, to deliver this word to us. And so we have the mystery revealed, what the good life is, how we can attain it, and what wisdom is. He is Jesus and faith in him. So who would pay for the wisdom that we're going to receive? Proverbs 3, 13 through 15, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. 
for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Who paid for this wisdom? Jesus Christ paid for this wisdom. He paid for it with his life and he paid for it with his death. He paid for it on the cross. And the apostles themselves paid to deliver this wisdom recorded in scripture to you with their blood as well. Sacrifice has been made to deliver the mystery of God, to reveal it to you, to disclose it. And so you've heard it. And so if you have not come to that place in your life where you've admitted that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then embrace Jesus Christ by faith. Put your trust in what he's done and know what it means to have a new restored relationship with God and know what it means to be united with Jesus himself who is wisdom now and have that hope of glory that is promised in union with Jesus Christ. You were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds and he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's pray.